0: Dialogic Disciple Podcast is a production of Northside Church, exploring discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. I am Dr. James Johnson. And I'm here today, as always, with Nick Houston. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing
1: pretty good. I just want to remind you it is Nick Houston's CPA. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. if we're we going to with Dr. Right. James Johnson,
0: right. then... I, I want to shorten it to just Dr. J, but I don't know if we're going to be on board with that or not. <laughs> I'll get on board with it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, how, how, how's your family holding up? How's, uh, how's Northside holding up during the whole quarantine? I guess we're not really in quarantine anymore, but the whole coronavirus crisis...
1: Well, you know, what a great and joyful day we had! The last week of school, last week, official last day of school. um, Maybe (laughs) over. I don't know what the fall looks like, but uh, we did a teacher appreciation dinner for my wife. You know, she's really happy to be done with homeschool. So
0: that's really cool. Um, I know that a lot of people missed out on graduation and things like that this year. Uh, I'm one of those people actually, but uh, I saw the. My daughter's preschool did a did little drive-by uh, graduation ceremony thing, and I know that our preschool did the same thing here. Yeah. That's kind of fun to see people do things in alternate ways. Reminds us that there are, there are many ways to do things in this world, not just one way. If we get creative. If we get creative, that's exactly right. And uh, I know this podcast has been something that we did before, something that we did before the the crisis. But it has been uh, it has been also for me. It's been something that that uh has been an alternative way of reaching out to people at Northside, and I think for them to access uh, the church as well. So It's neat. Look at us innovate. Yeah, I know, right? And, and we're actually sitting together today. <gasps> so we are six feet apart, socially distanced. But uh, it is good to see your face in person, and not just over a screen, and I'm looking forward to being able to see other people's faces at some point in the future.
1: I'm so glad that I don't have the, the Zoom thing going, because I'm, I don't know, I've got this problem where I end up watching myself,
0: <laughs> so I'll think everybody does. i be able to focus
1: better on the conversation <laughs> since I can't
0: see myself. <laughs> we can set up a mirror if you'd like, and uh, well, that's you the last thing. gaze into your own eyes as you speak. <laughs> that's the last thing I need. <laughs> it's nice to take the eyes off the screen, though, for sure. Uh That was starting to get to me a little bit. That's the only downside of of doing like seven or eight Zoom classes a week is that that's a lot of screen time that uh you know that I could be using to watch YouTube instead, right? No, no. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it is
1: interesting the the cues from people that you miss out on on Zoom. You know, when you've got everybody's on Zoom and they're on mute, so it's hard to tell a joke to a silent room. Um, It is, and kind of I know Bill and um, Bill and Jeff have talked about how hard it is to preach to an empty room. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I
0: can't imagine what that would be like. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's twisted. So we are in our today. We'll be doing the final piece, the third part of our conversation with Dr. Ryan Bonfiglio of Emory University. Uh, so far, I think the conversation has gone really well. I think the pieces that we've added to that for commentary have been um, have been good. Uh, And I think, and I've heard a lot of good feedback. So I've heard that this is a a fruitful conversation. It definitely helps us to know that uh, as we try to figure out what we're going to do next. So
1: first conversation, we talked about grief. Second conversation, we kind of transitioned into lament and the Psalms. That's right. For our third conversation, where where are we heading with this?
0: Well, we're going to do a little bit more talk about the Psalms. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what kind of resources we as the church have uh, to engage with grief or lament. Um, so it's part of the same conversation, but it, taking those aspects a little deeper, I think. Okay. Let's turn to that conversation now. So uh, back to my second question then for you uh, yeah. on this topic, you know, does this provide for us a blueprint? Is this is, Are we always going to pivot to Thanksgiving? Uh, in our own laments,
2: I mean, I I think it's a good question. I think it's it's a little bit of a yes and no for me. Um, in in one way, I think the Psalms of lament do provide us with a blueprint. It does give us permission to utter these daring words to God. It canonizes and sanctifies those questions and those accusations as part of our expressions of faith. And I think it is appropriate when we do experience moments of deliverance or healing or, or some problem in our lives resolved to have that experience and those expressions of public gratitude and praise uh, looking backward on what god has done so all of that i want to affirm but but it's not a blueprint in a sense that of of, a, of this being like a four-step process you right. complain you petition then you trust and you praise and as long as you follow the steps it'll all work out nice and neatly because it doesn't, and this is where kind of recognizing that that there's a gap, potentially a historical and chronological gap between the petition and the trust, that's really important. You know, there's uh, there's also in the Psalter there's this one psalm, Psalm 88. Uh, it's a psalm of lament. It starts off like many other psalms, but what's really interesting about it is that it it never gets to the trust in praise. It kind of ends with with the accusation. It ends with the complaint, and the fact that that psalm a pure lament without this pivot to trust and praise is included in a canon i think is really important right it 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 says that lament on its own is an expression of faith in other words it's not just that the first part is okay if you end up at trust and praise but that first part the true grief the true doubt is in itself a, a canonical expressing of of what it means to be a follower of god um, even if we never experience in this life
0: that pivot to trust and praise. I think, um, I think I would walk away from at least what you were saying. I would walk away thinking, well, if I, if I find myself in a place of uh, constant, um, waiting, I I've, I've, I've thrown my complaint up. I've petitioned to God. And now I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I find myself in this kind of area of grief and despair, um, that maybe one attitude to have with that would be that it's not over yet. You're, you're in the middle of the Psalm, right? You're not, you're not quite there yet. Right. And yet Psalm 88 kind of stands out as that one exception where, you know, it ends with, I think, you know, darkness is my only friend, you know, which is a great like Simon and Garfunkel song, but it's not really something <laughs> that you want to hear uh, yeah. in scripture. Right. Um, I don't know if you wanted to add anything more to that idea, but it, it, it seems to me yeah. that, uh, that that, that, that being in the middle of a story, I can find some kind of comfort in that. I think I can find some kind of uh, understanding of my own situation in that maybe. Uh, But uh, then again, Psalm 88 stands there and says, well, sometimes this is the end of the story. And sometimes uh, what's next is not, is not a return to, or a, uh, a, even a resurrection of um, what was before.
2: Yeah. And I I think what's valuable about, kind of the, the so-called blueprint that the Psalms of Lament give us is that, you know, when we're, when we're propelled and compelled to lament, we're usually in that early stage. We ourselves are in that middle, right? We haven't yet experienced relief or deliverance or salvation, however you want to call it. And in those cases, I think it's still worth reading through the entire Psalm, reading through the turn to trust and praise, because it reminds us, mm. I think, in moments when we can't imagine Mm-hmm. A place when we're not in this depth of despair, when we can't imagine ourselves out of the, the dark shadow and in the, in the dark valley. It reminds us that there have been people of faith before us who've been in precisely this moment and have lived to see the other side of it. And I know for my own self, I mean, the things that I have to lament and grieve, it can feel like that. It can feel like a, a tunnel that closes in around us and that we'll never get out of it. So maybe in those moments, all we have are the, these stories, these prayers of the past spoken by people who, who have been right where we are and yeah. yet have seen some other, have seen God show up and deliver in some
0: way. We, uh, we're, doing a lot of, uh, we're doing a class right now at Northside um, uh, based off of Walter Brueggemann's book, The Prophetic Imagination, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out if there's anything in the prophets for us that can help us to reimagine the situation that we're in. It sounds like to me what you're saying um, is, this is popped in my head, but uh, that remembering the past helps us to imagine the future, right? Remembering what God has done for us gives us the kind of resources and the courage to imagine that God will do it again. Uh, and that's, I think that's, there's great comfort. In that. about um, this pivot that we see happening. We talked about this a little bit last week, Nick, but uh, this pivot that we see happen in most psalms that goes from complaint or petition uh, and doubt to trusting God and ultimately to thanksgiving. And while most of the psalms do that, we do have this one psalm that sticks out, uh, Psalm 88. Uh, and, and part of my question for uh, Ryan had to do with blueprints, uh, and an the idea the idea that is the psalms or are the psalms, the structure of the psalms as we see them the lament psalms in particular are they a blueprint for us and I thought it was interesting his his comment being that in some sense they are, but they 're certainly not like a four step process
1: It reminds me of um the format of the lord 's prayer yeah and of you know when you pray, pray this way, and we 've taken that to be these are the sections are that you need Lord, to have yeah, in yeah, your yeah, prayer. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so whether the Psalms are supposed to function that way, whether the Lord's Prayer is really supposed to function yeah. exactly
0: that way. Um, yeah, you know what's funny about that is that uh, is it, yeah, that's exactly right in the sense of I've heard people interpret what is Jesus trying to actually say there. Is he, is he saying, quote this particular prayer verbatim? Because that's yeah. how we do it. Yeah, right? Good. And just to be on the safe side, the churches have done that for centuries now, right? Mm-hmm. Just in case he meant it that way, you might as well go ahead and do it exactly like he says, right? Or, or did he mean it in a more general sense of, like, these are the sections that you need to have in your prayer. You need to have this kind of recognition of God. You need to have this kind of forgiveness, of, uh, confession and forgiveness um, in, the, in the daily bread and things of that nature. But uh, I wonder if it's even we could be even more creative than that. Um, we we've been talking a lot about creativity and imagination uh, mm-hmm. around here at Northside Church, and I wonder what it would be, what it would mean to reimagine that prayer, and even as we think about the Psalms too, uh, and the structure of these lament Psalms. What ways could we reimagine them, or or reorder them, in such a way that that would bring, um, that would speak authentically about our experience right now.
1: I'm still struck by the conversation last week about the amount of time that is going through that process of, um, I think Ryan said, complain, petition, trust, praise, Yeah, is kind of when he just rattled it off. And the idea that it's not seconds between those phases, it's not minutes between those phases, that it is, you know, this dedicated period of time. Yeah. Yeah. so that you have time to adapt to each phase.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, to be involved in each phase. And so then when he brings up Psalm 88, I start to think, like, I mean, was it done?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you ever get back to it? You know, like, yeah. is it
1: is it is this the, you know,
0: the manuscript that's right. unfinished? Yeah. Um, well, in Psalm so 88, it's, it's uh, you know, it stands out as being unique, but it's also... Uh, it's one of my favorite psalms, and I think maybe because, because I feel like it is incredibly authentic. Um, and uh, if you I don't know if you have, if you want, we could uh, we could take a look at it if we you, if you want to feel like reading it to the people of Northside. Sure, uh, I'll read it, and uh, we can take a look at it and see what what our feelings are. So let's uh, let's take a look at Psalm eighty-eight. Nick, if you if you'll read it for us.
1: All right, here we go. This is Psalm eighty-eight. Um, it is eighteen verses long, and this is out of the New American Standard. Okay. Okay. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength. Forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit. In dark places in the depths, your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Sela. Sela. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Salah. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in a Abaddon? Will your words be made known in the darkness, and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors, I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness.
0: It is a dark psalm.
1: That I have never read that before.
0: Yeah. It is um you know what it reminds me of, and it this is probably just contextual, but um as we as we're looking at the book of Job in our wisdom literature class, I mean that could be a psalm that Job himself uttered or, or wrote, you know. What are your what are your initial thoughts on that? What do you feel right now, Nick? Would you like to share your emotions with us?
1: It is I'll tell you how it makes me feel. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Yeah. Just sad like that. I think right there at the end with the, you've removed lover and friend from me. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be, and I guess that maybe is kind of coming with the whole pandemic situation. Yeah. Like, I'm so used to going out and seeing people. Like even just coming into the work in the building and yeah. seeing the coworkers, you know. Yeah. Um, being able that's exactly right oh the isolation sucks
0: yeah, it does it really does um that your translation there is uh interesting you, uh, you said uh my acquaintance my acquaintances are in darkness yeah yeah and uh the translation the NIV that I in the CEV that I use says uh, more to the effect of darkness is my only friend and so um I made the joke with Brian that that sounds like a, a Simon and Garfunkel song but right uh Man, this is that's this. I hadn't thought about it in terms of of what's happening right now uh, with the Corona crisis, but uh, um, yeah, I and mean, it's isolation, this kind of, this, my only friend is uh, me, myself, and I sitting here by myself in the dark. Yeah, and uh, it, it does. It's not. It's not a joyful
1: feeling. Well, in his the psalmist's exclamation is this being cut off from God, being cut off from other people, you know, being near death or might as well be dead yeah um, and it does make you think though that at some point the psalmist had that connection right because he's lost it
0: yeah and I mean the the fact that he's able to even have this complaint with God and we talked about this last week I think you know yeah. speaks to the relationship that he has with God
2: I wonder why
0: it ends this way. You know why this one psalm sticks out as as the only psalm that doesn't pivot back to. And maybe it has something to do with um, maybe the psalmist never made it back. Maybe something happened to him before he could get back to this piece. Maybe maybe as far as he was concerned, God never showed back up. One of the interesting things about this uh, psalm that I was I just caught on really as you were reading out loud, out loud now is a. Uh, he definitely blames God for mm-hmm. what 's happening in his life for losing his friends and for the affliction and the pain and the suffering which he says i've had since I was a little boy, so his entire life has been kind of uh, has been narrated by pain and suffering, and he uh he definitely feels as though God is the one who is responsible for this, and that is I think maybe a little different than what we're used to thinking when we think about suffering and pain in our own lives. We're, we were um, I was talking with Catherine today uh, as we were doing the, the Thursday uh, prayer at noon on Facebook and um, you know she said that we we uh, Methodists in particular but Christians in general we're really good at the grace piece. We like to talk about the good things of God and every good thing that we get we always thank God and praise God but we never turn to God about the bad things. Other than to say, other than the petition and say, "Hey, will you give me, help me out here?" We don't ever say, "Why are you doing this?" I mean, I've I've heard people blame terrible things on God before, but and there there are even people who have said things of the nature that is like God has caused the coronavirus to happen. God has caused this kind of isolation to happen. I'm not comfortable with that kind of language, but at the same time, I don't I don't think I ever blame God for bad things in my life.
1: I'm pretty sure, I was instructed
0: that that's not how God works. That's not how God works. That's right. (laughs) So, what do we do with that? I mean, like that's a man. That's part of this part, and that this goes back to even the even the Psalms of lament that pivot back to Thanksgiving, and trust. Most of the time, if my recollection is correct, most of the time they still blame God for the initial pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. All right, not blame in the sense of God's morally culpable, although that would be the lo- next logical step. But that God has caused these things for some reason or another. What do? How do you feel about that idea? I don't know that we. I don't know. I think
1: that's why I'm uncomfortable with lament, James. Yeah. No, I think that's right. That the very the going to God with a complaint in the way that this says, "God, you did this to me," and I. And I think there are two ways to read it. And I don't know which one is correct. Um, first, there is the accusatory. Yeah. You did this to me. I didn't deserve it. Yeah. But then there's also, I screwed up and you punished me for it. When will you have punished me enough?
0: Right. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of the lament songs probably are, are couched in that way, um, in the sense of, I'm the one that messed up. God's disciplining me, right? Shaping yeah. me, helping me, punishing me. Yeah. Uh, I think I've had enough of that punishment. Let's move on to the next phase in our relationship, right? Right. It's much like when I was a kid, my mom would make me stand in the corner, right, with my nose in the corner, and right. I, many times would petition her, haven't Haven't I been here long enough? Right. Can I not run free with my brothers and go and do and have fun? Yep. And she would gently say, "Put your nose back in the corner. Right. <laughs> You're not done yet." So. I think you're right about that, but I think there's also, I don't, rem, I don't remember, I don't recall in this psalm, the psalmist uh, saying, you know, I know I messed up, no, I'm ready to come home. Uh, he simply he says since he was a boy, I mean since he was a boy, yeah. he's been he's been suffering. I feel for this guy. I don't know who this is. I, I don't. It's not David. Um, it could. It's not Job either because Job has wasn't suffering from this. Uh, since he was a boy but whoever this Israelite was or person was it's a hard life <laughs> he's been canonized it's a pretty hard life um I, I wonder if it wouldn't be beneficial for us as, as Christians and people at Northside to spend some time reflecting on the idea that God maybe causes pain and suffering sometimes um you said it just a minute ago, but that this is I think maybe one of the reasons why we don't, we don't focus and talk about lament that much. We don't uh, get into the grief part of our lives because maybe, maybe there's a part of us that is maybe there's a part of us that suspects in the back of our hearts and the back of our minds that it's actually God who is doing this.
1: This just opens up such a massive philosophical
0: can of worms. It does. We may we have to put a pen in it, really, for this podcast. But this is something that we should return to at some point, and um, and ask that question because I I think this this could be one of the main differences between being Methodist and being Presbyterian, and if you're if you're truly Methodist or truly Presbyterian, the big difference between John Wesley and John Calvin is. Wesley's focus was on the grace of God, and Calvin's focus was on the sovereignty of God, and the sovereignty of God in the sense that God is all-powerful and God causes all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, Wesley was less of that uh, persuasion. He, he, they both believed that God is present in every moment, um, but Calvin believed that God is present in order to cause And Wesley believed that God is present simply to be present, to be there for, to be there for us, or to be there for creation. Hmm. And while that distinction doesn't make any any difference, you read it on the paper, when you begin to look at stuff like these Psalms, and you begin to think about how we have relationship with God, that's where it starts to play out. Because now for us, it becomes, for you and me in particular, as we've been talking about this, it becomes... um, a breaking point in our relationship with God. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that God would cause this kind of pain and suffering. That God yeah. would cause these things. And if you're forcing me to believe that, or if you're ma- or if you're telling me that's the way it is, that becomes the beginning of a whole new Psalm of Lament for me. <laughs> because yeah. I, I don't like that idea of God, which doesn't make it not true, <laughs> but it just makes me uncomfortable.
1: Right. I mean, because then you you just you start down that trail of why. Yeah. Um. And what what happens when you don't understand where that trail leads, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: I also want to put you on the spot here for just a second and ask you if you have any favorite uh, Psalms of Lament or any particular Psalms of Lament that you think might be more, uh, more or less applicable to our situation uh, right now that you might want to suggest for people to read and and Uh. pay attention to.
2: Yeah, well, um, I think in a certain way they're all applicable, and yeah. not because they all say the same thing, but it's their flexibility of language in the Psalms of Lament make it such that I think almost no matter where we are, we can find yeah. the words in the Psalms that, that, that fit us and match what we're experiencing. And, and if for no other reason, then I think one of the primary things that, that many of us are grieving. I mean, it is the loss of jobs and it is the loss of loved ones and all these tangible losses. But I think one of the things that, that we're really grieving is the loss of how we expected the future to be. Um, you know, we had this vision of what May would look like, of what June would look like, maybe what the fall term would look like for our kids, for ourselves, for our parents, for, for whatever, for our careers. And, and just like that. That expectation, that plan we had in our head of what the future would look like, is is gone. Right? Yeah. We're, we're just grasping uh, for for what for what things will, how things will show up. And I just was thinking back to the study you mentioned about the prophetic imagination. For me, that's the point of connection that that really hits home. I think what Israel was facing, you know, as 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 the Babylonian Empire advanced and and they faced the threat of exile. And deportation was that the future they had thought they would have is not the future they're actually going to have. And that's what we're all in. The future we thought yeah. we were going to be in is not that. And we yeah. face the, 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 the unknown. And that is super scary. And, and we grieve it, because for many of us, that future we had planned out was, was a source of joy, was a source of hope, was a source of identity and stability and so there's a lot to grieve just in that fact that we don't we don't get the future we thought we were going to have of course i don't know that we ever get the future we thought we were right, going to have but yeah. moments like this really put that yeah. into sharp relief for us absolutely
0: absolutely I do. So it's nice to kind of sit with uh, the Psalms, and it's nice to, to to kind of hear this Old Testament uh, kind of uh, understanding of what we're talking about. But we're Christians, Ryan. So I'm I'm curious as to whether or not you have any thoughts or can <laughs> say anything about maybe Jesus uh, and the lament Psalms, or, or Jesus Christ in the lament Psalms. Is that, or are you strictly an Old Testament man? That you won't. <laughs>
2: no. Uh, I occasionally read the appendix and the new testament uh, as well no there, there are important <laughs> connections and in fact um we uh you know just coming off of of uh of easter you know the one that stands out to me is that moment in the passion narrative it's captured in both matthew and mark when jesus is on the cross he's in his final moments of life and he utters in that moment the opening line of psalm 2022 20, my god my god why have you forsaken me and if you remember back to that passage it's one of those weird places where um, the, the New Testament gives us the transliteration. That is not the translation, but the sound of the words that mm. Jesus would have spoken. Jesus would have yeah. spoken in Aramaic, but the Greek of the New Testament transliterates that. So, And I always thought that an odd thing, right? They could have done that at any place, right? Because Jesus right, was yeah. almost always speaking Aramaic. But I think they do it in this moment to really transport us to the foot of the cross so that we can literally hear what Jesus said. We can literally hear, hear the
0: sounds coming out of his voice, it, right? Yeah, that's
2: exactly right. And, and, yeah. and it's so striking that they do that with these words of, of lament. And just think of the shocking moment it would have been. Uh, I mean, of course, there's the agony of the physical suffering of, of, of you know, a form of execution like crucifixion. But also think of the weight and the burden of of Jesus being separated from the Godhead, of somehow imagining in a form of abandonment. Uh, As as inconceivable as that is theologically in our Trinitarian thinking, it's what Jesus experienced in that moment. And and at that time, no other words seemed appropriate than those ancient words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that's exactly what Jesus experienced on the cross
0: i wonder um i think it's uh it's fascinating uh that that Jesus would go to this these kind of psalms of lament and uh i wonder if i I don't know that you can't we can't get inside of the head of Jesus but i wonder if he's if he's there if he's saying this as a as a as a true complaint yeah. as as truly as as truly crying out like with confusion and and anger and and despair uh or if he's hinting at that kind of uh, that Thanksgiving that comes at the end of Psalm 22 or, or, you know, what all is happening with that? I, I, it seems so, you are like you said, uh, in our Trinitarian thinking it's hard for us to imagine that Christ is truly abandoned there. Mm -hmm. And yet that you're right. That's exactly what he appears to be experiencing.
2: Right. Yeah. You know, I've read some commentators who have said that there's this Jewish practice or tradition where if you, if you cite the first line of a Psalm, let's say, you really are meant, you really are implying the entirety of the psalm or the entirety of the text. So when Jesus gestures to that first line of Psalm 22, the assumption of some commentators is that he has in mind the entirety of the psalm, including the way in which it kind of resolves in trust and praise. And, you know, I I think that could be right. Um, Although it's instructive to me that we don't hear Jesus utter those other psalms, surely he would have had the words of the Psalm memorized and, and could have cited another part of the Psalm if he wanted. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, I mean, yes, right? I, I think our theology um, is always of Easter hope and Easter resurrection, right? So the, the darkness of Good Friday always points forward to the hope of the resurrection. That's absolutely true. But I think the mistake we make in that thinking is that we skip the agony of Holy Saturday, right? That's a day that, that does not figure prominently in Christian liturgies these days, right? I mean, maybe it's a day for Easter egg hunts and things like that, but it's <laughs> really just a, a time filler between the liturgy of Good Friday and the celebration of Easter Sunday. But I think there's so much in Holy Saturday, that that long day of doubt and worry where you didn't have the, the, the knowledge and reality of the resurrection before you. You only had to sit with the reality of the loss, right? That's a day of grief. It's a day of sadness. And it is a holy day because I think bringing those emotions before God in honesty and authenticity is a holy act, It is a faithful act. Um, And and Christians, I think today need to to have room for Saturdays in the midst of, of our journey from Friday to Sunday.
0: And I wonder, you know, Ryan, I wonder if, if we were more, if we were more intentional about, about really um, recognizing Black Saturday, Holy Saturday, uh, and, and if we did that on an annual basis, if we did that as a, pract- a, congreg- a congregational practice every year, I wonder if when those little tinier Black Saturdays pop up in our life, if, we if we wouldn't be better resourced, if we wouldn't be you know, better prepared for those moments uh, with, with liturgies and with experience and with memory of Easter, uh, in those other moments in our life, you could call what's happening to us now. Uh, I mean, in, in a metaphorical sense, uh, kind of a black Saturday, kind of a, a thing where we're sitting in this in between time between, yeah. you know, what we've lost and what we hope to gain, uh, or, or, or get back or whatever, whatever that might look like. Um, we are we're treating it kind of the same way we treat Black Saturday, which is Easter egg hunts and kind of distractions and do something else and not think about it. Um, but like we talked about before, that kind of grief and that kind of uh, darkness does find a way out one way or another.
2: Yeah. I love how you're thinking about this, JJ. Cause you know, we, in order to, to practically speaking, right, we can talk about the importance of expressing grief and, and all of this stuff, but until the church begins to form practices and liturgies and, and communal ways of being around expressing grief, we're really going to struggle for how to do it, right? So one way would be to actually uh, make liturgically significant uh, that Saturday, right? Another way, there are these old traditions, you know, that, that I, I don't see them in churches today. And, and the point isn't necessarily to resurrect the old traditions, but I think they can inspire us. There, there used to be a tradition where the front pew the front of churches was reserved for those in grief. Right. To kind of yeah, sim- yeah. like to, to to acknowledge their place in the worshiping community. Our our brothers and sisters uh, in, in the Jewish community still practice certain things. Many synagogues today as part of their uh, services have a question where they ask anyone. It's usually related to a reflection on the Holocaust, but they ask if anyone in the congregation is in mourning to please stand. And, you know, it's a way... Of just kind of saying, yes, there are Saturday people in our midst, right? It's not just the liturgical season, but there are people in that place now. And we as communities need to form ourselves as, 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 as structures of comfort and care and compassion around those people who mourn.
0: So I asked, I asked Brian to, you know, to keep in mind that we're Christians and that we need to know a little bit about what's going on in the New Testament, which he calls the, 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 the appendix the appendix to the old. <laughs> that's was great. Uh, which is a great joke. <laughs> a little but. Old Testament professor. L- yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, and he, so, you know, what, what do the Lament Psalms look like for us as Christians? Where, where in the New Testament can we look? And he pointed out the most famous case of Lament Psalm in, in the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ on the cross. And crying out to God, the the first line of Psalm twenty two, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" So I have a confession to make. Yeah, I didn't know that. You didn't know that Jesus was on the cross. <laughs> I didn't know
1: that Jesus was quoting Psalm twenty two.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well now you know. So now I you know. Feel?
1: It makes me so, a better Bible reader. Exactly. James. But, but
0: that's, so that's a that's a that's a good um, that's a good place to talk to stop and talk though because. Uh, now that you have a little bit of, of knowledge uh, and a little bit of a lens for lament psalms and what they're for and what they're about, what does it mean to you now that, to hear Jesus quoting a lament psalm while he's hanging on the cross? Does that change that scene for you at all?
1: Um, does it add any meaning to it? I, I get this impression of what a what a piece of that Culture. What a fabric of everyday. What a piece of the fabric of everyday life the Psalms had to have been. Yeah. That. That statement from the cross. The community watching hears that and knows immediately Psalm twenty-two. Yeah. I was Baptist for a long time. Really? I don't know how I missed this. <laughs> okay. Um, and so there's an element of Christ quoting Scripture that reinforces my sense of how important Scripture is. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and how important it is to memorize it. And then, okay, it's Psalm 22, so I pick up and go read Psalm 22 and go, oh, wow. Yeah. This is, oh, wow. <laughs> like, that, uh, like
0: my face is melting, James. <laughs> Don't look into the Ark of the Covenant. Your face will melt. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I think... Uh, there's a similarity, so I think the Psalms are known to the, the, the people of Jesus' time in the same way that the classic hymns are known to us. Um, although I don't know that it would be appropriate if I was hanging on a cross to be like, This is my story, this is my song, <laughs> right? Uh, but but you know, I think that the, the Psalms, remember, are really a collection of hymns themselves. I and mean, that's what that is it's a hymn book, it's a well, song book. I think so Ryan also points out that this is the one place in uh, one of the few places in the New Testament where the the words of Jesus are transliterated instead of just translated which is to say Jesus spoke in Aramaic and every word that we have from him in scripture is in Greek so it's been translated into Greek it's the in words English, of Jesus yes. yeah of course well he spoke in King James version he he spoke in the King James the King's, King's English English yeah but after that was translated into Aramaic that you know that he spoke right in Aramaic uh huh Uh, And there are very few times, there are very few times where the Bible writers actually, the New Testament writers actually give us what the words of Jesus would have sounded like, like if you were there. And this is one of those times, hanging on the cross, where he he quotes out Psalm 22, but he quotes it in in Aramaic, you know, Eloi, Eloi, something, 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 right? So um, does that, I don't know, does that add anything to the meaning for you?
1: I've always thought that was weird. I never understood why that particular, in all of the New Testament, I don't remember another place where There's they transliterate. Places, yeah. um, so I've always found that weird. And so I figured it meant something special, but yeah, I didn't sit with it long enough to consider why did I need to know the way it sounded when Christ said that? Yeah. But I didn't need to know the way it sounded when Christ said you know, right, yeah. blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. their like, right. what about that yeah. lament? I mean, that's.
0: I mean, if we, if we just sit and think about that for just a minute, like, why, why at this moment of suffering, do they? they does uh, do the biblical writers think that we need to hear exactly what Jesus, what it, what it sounded like to be there at the foot of the cross and hear him cry out? This is the sound it would have made, and I think Ryan makes the point that. This is this is a big moment. Jesus on the cross is a salvific, you know, salvation kind of moment. But it's also, I think, about this intense suffering and separation that Jesus experienced on the cross.
1: And in those places there's also the conversation about what it was that he said, and people start to say, Oh, he's calling to Elijah. Right. And so maybe then the sound of how it would sound for him to call Elijah versus for him to quote the Psalm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is relevant to that conversation about who he really was. Yeah.
0: Um, I haven't, you know, I've never really put a lot of thought into this um, idea and I, I, Unlike you, I did know that he was quoting Psalm 22, but I also didn't... I've never thought about why it was transliterated into Aramaic for that moment. I have not put a lot of thought into that in the past, I don't think. If I have, I've forgotten about it. Um, Well, and then why, in the process of
1: translating the Greek... Why not translate the Aramaic? Like, it's got to have to do with that what-was-he-really-saying issue. Yeah.
0: yeah. What, do you have, um, as, we, as we pointed out, what this kind of song, what, what Jesus quoting lament on the cross means?
1: Well, that's a really bad day. It's a really you can lament day. that.
0: Yeah, right, right. And he's like, I don't know that
1: I've had bad enough stuff happen to need to lament.
0: Right. Well, I think we all have. I think that's kind of the point of what we're trying to get to here. I guess uh, the larger point here is that we as human beings, we're, I mean we're always experiencing lament and grief. We're, we're experiencing grief more than we realize that we are. And I want the church to be the place to be the place where people come to uh, to be able to access, access hope. So we have to be a place where they can also come and grieve um, and to understand that Jesus Christ himself felt grief and lament. That that there are days on our in our calendar that are designed to help us and remind us uh, of how important grief and lament are, and that the Psalms are an excellent resource for that. But uh, that it, we it's okay for us to do that. We can have the courage to do that. And if we're going to have hope and move forward in the future, we have to do it.
1: And so then, part of the responsibility. As a member of the church is what can you do to make that acceptable for yeah. this to be a place where somebody can come to grieve yeah. to work through a process so they can get back to that place of trusting and thanksgiving yeah that it can be okay um, it can be okay to not be okay right
0: my final question for you today as we kind of close as come to a close in our conversation is um, this communal element of grief that you've been talking about. And, and um, obviously that comes to full expression in practices like funerals, but during this COVID-19 situation that we're in, we can't really be present with one another in the same way with social distancing going on and all this other stuff. Um, So how, how do you think that we should support one another in grief during this time that we're separated from one another?
2: Yeah, this is what's really hard about the COVID 19 circumstances, because a lot of the ways, even when we do deal with grief in a healthy manner in communal context, a lot of the ways we have to do that are just not at our disposal, right? I think of you know the funerals you mentioned, but even things like touch, you know, hug or closeness in presence. I mean, they're all the things we can't do at this moment because it's a health risk. So it's a really serious uh problem. But I find that in, in a lot of ways, you know, at least in moments where I've been in in, in in doubt and despair and depression in my life, sometimes it's really small acts of recognition that make a big difference, um, a, a text, a phone call, a letter, something that acknowledges your pain, first of all, um, doesn't try to fix it, doesn't try to solve it, but just acknowledges to this knowledge that that. You know, other people out there know you're grieving. That is a huge comfort, I think. And so I'm wondering if just if we, as as people of faith, um, can just be mindful of those around us. Um, You know, there was I was in a church service the other day, and a Sunday service. And you know, one of the great things about doing these services online now, I'm sure like like your church does, it just it creates different possibilities. And and in this service. Uh The Pastor, right after the sermon, just said, "Okay, now take out your phones, and that 's like you know something you typically don't do in the sort of church I go to yeah uh, and they said they said, Look, text someone right now uh who you know is grieving, and just say i 'm here, like I see you and, and i 'm present you could say whatever you wanted, but kind of like actually creating space in a service just to send that yeah. little thought um i th- I think we can find things like that." uh, to show up for
0: people, even when we can't show up physically for them. That's a, that's a, a fantastic call to action kind of piece there. And, and who would have thought, I mean, my grandmother must be rolling over in her grave. Who would have thought <laughs> that there would be a time in our, in our, in our history of our congregations where the pastor would say, now pull out your phones and text people, you know I mean? Like, no, that's. that's exactly. uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, you're right. That very small thing can be a very powerful move, um, yeah. in the life of other people. So,
2: yeah.
0: Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a fantastic conversation. I think that we uh, covered a lot of things that I think will be helpful, um, not only to uh, our congregation, but to uh, those who listen to this podcast. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to join us and I I pray and hope that your family remains safe during all of this. And I look forward to getting to see you in person uh, sometime soon.
2: Absolutely, JD. Thanks for having me on. I love the conversation and thank you for your ministry and for all the faithfulness of your congregations. It's been great being with you.
0: Coming out of this conversation, what do you see as some of, some of the things that Northside could be doing? What are some of the things that people out there listening to this podcast could be doing right now?
1: I think there's kind of what we could do for ourselves and what we could do for others. Yeah. Um, I still love the idea of um, maybe writing your own lament. Yeah. Like when you were experiencing grief, like what would it be to, to write that down? I think it's a great idea. And sit with that for a while, you know. You're not trying to write all four stages at once.
0: Yeah, just, just write the petition or the complaint first. Yeah, yeah. And just sit with
1: it. Um, I think there's that. And then kind of where Ryan goes, um, you know, what can you do to recognize in someone else that they're in a place where they're grieving? How can you kind of do something with a personal touch that – lets the community know you're thinking about them that you yeah. care you know
0: I mean just a simple phone call
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, or even a text message you know uh, is better than nothing but I mean that's that's something yeah then he talks about um, writing a letter When's the last time you wrote a letter Nate
1: oh um, I've done thank you notes yeah. recently yeah. yeah Um, but an actual letter hand
0: no no no, handwritten letter too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there are ways in which we can reach out and touch one another. I, I, and being part of Zoom class is another way to do that. Being part of worship on Sunday morning is, is an excellent way yeah. to do that. And I, I hope that people, I hope that, that people won't forget that. That's uh, that. This is not ideal. This is not an ideal situation, obviously. But mm-hmm. the connection that we have in in Zoom over the internet, in on Facebook through worship, those are still real connections. And they're essential right now as we kind of mm-hmm. grieve in this in this time or as we lament in this time. I think understanding that we're not alone in this and that no matter how isolated we feel, God's present there with us and for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the little things, the little things that we do go a long way, even, even further now than they did before.
1: Well, and I know we talked about how, the psalms can be a reflection of human experience yeah. and that you can read them understanding that somebody has been there. Yeah. But the more proximate level would be that there's someone in this community that is Northside Church yeah. that has been there. Yeah. Um, that can share in That's whatever true. grief you're experiencing. You know,
0: I honestly, that, that makes me think. A call to action uh, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, you know I don't know how many listeners we have, but... I think two. Two or three. So the three yeah. people out there who listen, I, here's what I want to say. Here's what I want to challenge out of the people of Northside. i am not figure out a way to get this to larger congregation, but we do have people in this congregation who have for years uh, experienced isolation and darkness, who have experienced some of the same things that we've experienced, whether they've been homebound or they've been uh, whatever. They have not been able to engage in the church uh in the way that we have all taken for granted my my guess is that they have resources that they've learned things that they know ways of dealing with that and wrestling with that and i would love to hear their testimony and their witness so Mm -hmm. if if you know somebody like that or if you are that person please let me know i want i want i'm seeking out i am seeking out a witness a testimony about how to continue to wrestle with this because those are the resources that we need right now Uh, We have the resource of scripture and we can wrestle with that, but if we have people in our own congregation who have done this for years, who have become professionals at it maybe even, I want to hear from them. I think that's something that, uh, that we need right now. So let us know. Well, Nick, we've come to the end of this series. What are you, I guess this is a good time to kind of look back and think about all the good times that was. <laughs> uh, any, any kind of final thoughts or, or things that are going to stick out to you as you move forward from this?
1: A good conversation. A yeah. good conversation about the Psalms. I think, like I said, it does make me a better Bible reader. Yeah. I think I come at the Psalms a little differently, and I think it uh, helps me approach how I deal with my emotions yeah. And feeling kind of like it's okay to be angry with God. I take it though with a but uh-huh. You got to stick with God.
0: Yeah. Being, yeah. I think I would say the same thing. Uh, being being angry with God is is sticking with God to some degree, hmm. right? Uh that yeah. that relationship is important. Um Think about maybe we should rename this podcast The, the Re-Education of Nick Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, thank you so much for joining us today and throughout the entire series that we did here with Dr. Ryan Bonfiglio. And I also want to thank Dr. Bonfiglio for being our guest. Um, I'm not sure that he knew that we were going to split this up into three different podcasts. That was something that we decided to do later, but I'm, I'm happy that he was willing to sit down with us, and I, I thank him for his time. Uh, Northside thanks him for his time as well. Uh, we're going to see more of Dr. Dr. Ryan Bonfiglio around here at Northside Church. He's uh, he's going to come in and do a, a series or two uh, here in the future, at least that's the future we hope for. Let's hope that we don't have to <laughs> grieve that. Um, in any case, Nick, do you have any final words for the people at Northside Church? Another great series. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys, and uh, go wash your hands.